Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Now let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence here this morning. Uh, I thank you for your provision in our lives, and I pray, God, that you would grow your kingdom and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead with the tithes, Rob. All right. Hey, uh, one of the things that I didn't mention and I meant to earlier uh, is when we did the renovations on the church building here, we have a, a neat little book out in the lobby that you can look at with pictures of those renovations. Uh, but one of the things that we stopped short of is right across the way here we're, uh, on the other side of that wall is going to be a kitchen. Right now it's just a bare room. Uh, if you are gifted in that area and would like to volunteer your time with things like flooring and cabinetry and plumbing, uh, that's one of the things that we want to we wanna start on now. So uh, if you're interested in that kind of work, please let me know after service. We're going to kind of put a, a team together and get the ball rolling on that. But uh, last week we began a, se a series, or we kind of continued a series. Uh, it's uh, called Encounters with the Risen Jesus. And what we talked about last week is two of the, the three encounters that the Bible talks about with the disciples after his resurrection. Those two we looked at last week were when Jesus encountered the disciples first without Thomas, and the second time he encountered them with Thomas. Today I want to look at uh, Jesus' post-resurrection encounter with Peter. Uh, so if you want to read with me or if you want to write it down, it's in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, Afterward Jesus appeared to, again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter... Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Uh, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken them off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Now, I recognize that there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, most men are not known for their elaborate thoughtfulness. Only women laughed at that. <laughs> and I would say that I fit this mold. I can be thoughtful from time to time, but it does not just come natural to me. I have to, I have to really think about it, uh, figure that one out. But there's a time in, in most men's life where they overcome this deficiency in thoughtfulness and they put a lot of thought into something and that is in a proposal. When they propose, they usually put a little more thought into everything else for the rest of their lives. And uh, I was no different. Uh, when I proposed to Emily, we were long distance at the time. I was living in Florida. She was living in Pennsylvania. Uh, she had come down and visited for about a week and it was her birthday week. And, and, um, I had a gift for her every day of the week, and I was trying to kind of make her think that on the last day it would be a wedding ring because it wasn't going to be a wedding ring. So I gave her a gift every day, and then Sunday came, and uh, I kicked her back onto the plane and sent her back home. The next day, I got on a plane myself, and I flew up to Pittsburgh. I took a cab from the airport to Mount Washington. I went to the top to the lookout on Mount Washington, and I waited. Now, if that was the whole plan, it, it wouldn't be a very good plan. But I had been conspiring with her, her family for weeks, and I had been setting up this moment to happen exactly how I wanted. And, and I, I talked to her parents week before, uh, weeks before, and I said, if I am on the lookout on Mount Washington on this date, can you get her there without her uh, suspecting anything? And her mom said, not only can I get her there, I can make her think it's her idea. So <laughs> she, she said, she said, Emily, your father's 50th birthday is coming up. We should do something really big. And Emily said, oh, let's take him to Shakespeare's. No, no, no. And she said, well, let's take him here. No, no. Uh, let's take him to Mount Washington. Brilliant! <laughs> He'll love it! So Emily comes up there, and, and, and she gets off of the incline. And I have a picture if you want to put the picture on the screen. She thinks that she's there for her father's surprise uh, birthday party. Uh, and uh, I actually shocked her so much that she, she said, yes, guys, if someone is ever really out of your league, that's what you do. Get them in a state of shock and then propose. And then the next picture I just thought was funny because you can see that she's holding her father's birthday present because she still thinks that that's what she's there for. But I did not propose uh, on a whim. You don't do this as a spur of the moment thing. You set up this moment to happen exactly like you want it to. Now, really quickly, uh, because I know that some of you did not have a special proposal and I wanted to make you look a little better, if that's you, kind of nudge your wife and say, listen up. Uh, this is a true story and I have permission to use this story. A friend of mine, I think it's been less than a year ago, her boyfriend wanted to propose. He's not a mushy guy, he's not a thoughtful guy, he didn't really know how to do it. But then he saw it, a sink full of dirty dishes. And he thought, if I put this ring by that sink full of dirty dishes, she'll go over there and wash them eventually, and she'll see it there. So he takes the ring, and he just goes, and he sets it next to the dirty dishes, and he walks away. Happens just like he planned. She walks up. She finds the ring. She's kind of confused, kind of excited. And she finds him and says, did you get me an engagement ring? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just getting better and better at this point. So now she's calling everyone, and she's saying, was it you? Are you playing a trick on me? And finally... She asks him again, was it you that put the ring by the sink of dirty dishes? And he says, yeah, it was me. 
He never said, will you marry me? He never got on one knee. That's the end of their engagement story. Now, whose engagement story just went up a notch? Okay. All right. That was for you. Proposals are usually events that have a lot of planning to set a stage for the perfect moment. And what I love about the story, you can get rid of that picture. What I love about the story of Peter with Jesus meeting him is this was not a spur of the moment encounter that Jesus had with Peter. Jesus had been setting the stage for this moment to happen exactly like it did for years. And actually, I'm going to show you, he'd been setting the stage for this moment since the, uh, the time of creation. This morning, I want to show you uh, that everything that's happening in this story is meant to remind Peter of an earlier event that took place in his life. And it starts with uh, what's happening in the moment here where they're fishing, they're catching nothing, and Jesus says, throw your net over here, and then they catch more than they can handle. See, Jesus could have waited, or, or Jesus could have encountered Peter any time, in any way, uh, however he wanted to, but Jesus set up this moment he set it up to look like one of Peter's first encounters with Jesus in Luke chapter 5. In both encounters, the, the first encounter and this last one, both encounters, Peter had been fishing through the night, and now it was going into the morning, and he caught, hadn't caught a single thing. In both encounters, Jesus tells him, cast your net one more time, and in both encounters, he listens. Oh, I don't need that up, Greg, uh, not yet. Uh, in both times, they caught a catch of fish so large that their net could barely contain the catch. And there's one that's not quite so obvious in that first encounter and in the last encounter, and that's in both situations, Peter recognized himself to be a sinful man. Uh, you saw the first occasion there. In the first encounter, he just comes out and says it. In the second encounter, or the, the final encounter, if you backtrack to the last place we see Peter in Scripture, it's him denying Jesus three times. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it tells us that he remembered what Jesus said, that Jesus predicted his denial, and that he broke down and he wept bitterly. There are so many similarities in these two encounters, and Jesus made sure it was that way. But there is one huge, glaring difference, and that's the way that Peter responded. Go ahead and put that back up, uh, Greg. In his first encounter, there's this miracle, and it says, When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. But do you remember what happens in that last encounter? It says that Peter saw it was Jesus, and he jumped off the boat because he could not get to him quick enough. In both encounters, Peter has baggage, he has sin, he has failures. In one encounter, he says, get away. In the other one, he says, I can't get to you quickly enough. What's the difference? The difference is in the first encounter, Peter might have thought he knew a little bit about Jesus. But in the second encounter, Peter knew Jesus. Over the course of Peter's years with Jesus, a shift had taken place in his mind that has to take place in our minds. It's a shift where we go from a place of hiding our sin and our failures to a place where we run to Jesus with our sin and our failures. Peter went from this place of saying, 
uh, uh, Ivan's, I I'm a sinner, stay away, Jesus, to I'm a sinner, I've got to get to Jesus. Do you see that taking place? Peter recognized finally the reality that we live in, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Not that there's no repentance, not that there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. Those things are healthy, but there is no condemnation. There is no shame. How do you know if you're experiencing shame or if you're experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Look at Peter. In the first instance, it's shame. Shame says, get away from me, Jesus. Do you see what I've done? Conviction tells you you were created for more than this and you take it to Jesus. Because the Bible says this. It says, love covers a multitude of sin. Do you know who wrote that? It's the same man who had once said, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Peter who once said, Jesus, get away, is now saying, I have recognized that love covers a multitude of sin. Do you know what Peter did not say? He did not say love ignores a multitude of sin. Understand, church, I say it often, and I'll say it a lot more, your sin has not been ignored. Your sin has been paid in full. Uh, last week after church, Emily, Emily and I went to uh, El Toro because the Bible says that that's what you do Sundays after church. <laughs> now, we wrote it into the margins of our Bible to make sure that it would say that. But after we had finished eating, the waitress came up to us and she said the most beautiful words. She said, you guys are free to go. Your bill has been paid in full. She said, someone else has paid your tab. She did not say we've decided to ignore your bill. If they ignore our bill, then we have an outstanding balance. But because it had been paid in full, we recognized that we owed nothing and that we could leave that place with the knowledge that our debt had been paid. Amen. And we tracked down the person, because it wasn't hard to find out who paid our bill, and we thanked them, we expressed our gratitude, and we made sure they know that we are there every Sunday around that same time. <laughs> Church, your debt has been paid, and that is why there is no condemnation. That is why, church, there is no shame. And you, with all of your weakness, with all of your failures, God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ for nothing that you have done, but because everything that Christ has done. Church, there's, there's a whole new level of Peter's encounter here, here. And I taught on this a little bit at the mall a couple years ago. Uh, but you're going to pretend you've never heard it before. And it's that good. This isn't in my notes. I just think it's really funny. Uh, I was at a, a conference for pastors years back, and the guy was talking about a church where a pastor came to him, and he said, uh, he said my, my church just won't grow. And he said the first question he asked him was, how long are your, your messages? And he said, oh, hour, hour and a half. And he said, well, there's your first problem. He said, no, you, you don't get it. I'm, I'm really good. So <laughs> I'm not saying I'm good, but what I'm about to share with you is so good. It's this between-the-lines story in Scripture. It's one of my favorite things in all of the Bible. When Peter asked, or Jesus asked Peter three times, he asked him, do you love me three times? We recognize that this was an opportunity for Peter to redeem himself for denying Jesus three times. Uh, 
In the Bible, there are somewhere around 750,000 words. Uh, we're not going to read them all this morning, but somewhere around 750,000 words. This morning, I want to talk for a minute about a word that appears just two times. Uh, twice out of 750,000. It's a word, go ahead and put it on the screen, uh, Greg, anthrakia. It's the word where we get the word anthracite coal. Uh, and literally it means uh, uh, a fire of burning coals or a charcoal fire. There were only two occasions in all of scripture that the writer thought it was necessary to specify this was not just a fire, but it was a fire on a bed of coals. The first of those occasions is when Peter, the Bible says in John 18, was warming himself around a charcoal fire. And it says, as he was standing there warming himself around the fire, he denied Jesus three times. And I actually want us to watch the second occasion, or at least a depiction of the second occasion. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, Still the net did not tear. Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, You know everything. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. I am telling you the truth. When you were young, you used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, 
and someone else will tie you up and take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die and bring glory to God. Bible, we find a charcoal fire. One, Peter is warming his hands around the fire. The other here, Jesus has prepared the charcoal fire for Peter to come to it. Now, why does this matter? Uh, neurologists who study the brain devote their entire lives to studying the brain. Uh, they will readily admit that because it is so complex, uh, the percentage that we understand about the brain is really pretty small still. But here's what they'll, they'll say. Smell triggers memory. Have you ever walked into a room and there's a smell that transports you back to another place? Uh, I've walked into places and I don't even know the smell, but all of a sudden I'm in my grandparents' house when I was a kid. Uh, Emily said that there are certain foods that put her in the stool next to her grandfather as a, as a child. Uh, now, neurologists have, have tried to figure out what this is and they say that it's because the part of our brain that processes smell, it's called the olfactory bulb. Uh, it is uh, located in pr uh, close proximity to two other parts of the brain called the amygdala and the hippocampus. And they say that these two parts of the brain process memory and emotion. And because they are located so close together, certain smells, when you smell them, will either be related to a memory from your childhood or related to an emotion from your past. So the Bible says that Jesus has created this fire of charcoal. Now, if you can picture Peter around the fire, the first thing that happens is he begins to smell the charcoal. That is going to take him right back to the moments that he denied Jesus Christ. I fully believe that was the intention of Jesus. He has set up this moment so that Jesus would be, or so that Peter would be transported back to that very emotional experience of his denials. It's around the smells of, uh, of this charcoal fire when Peter is remembering the most shameful moments of his life that, Peter, that Jesus is saying, no, 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 Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, and then the smells continue, and he says, no, 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 Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. And then I love the third time because he says, Peter, do you love me? And then what does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. And, and I wonder in that moment if Peter had kind of been wondering, does Jesus know that I denied him? And then as that smell just keeps coming back, if he's saying, if it kind of clicks, he knows. And he says, you know everything, but you know that I love you. Jesus set up this moment intentionally. Neurologists say it's because of the layout of the human brain. Do you know who the Bible says created the human brain? It says that at the moment of creation, everything was created by Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. I believe at the moment of creation, Jesus was looking to the restoration of the man who would lead his church because that is our God, church. A God who would not have you live in shame, but a God who would restore your greatest shames and regrets. 
I want you to see something so unique here. Church, if you are here this morning and you are struggling with, with sin in your life, now I say struggling, by that I mean that you ha- are waging war against it, but you feel like you're losing it. I'm not talking about you if you say, I've just given into it and decided that sin is my way of life. We should have a different conversation. But if you are here and you are struggling with your sin, but you are battling it, maybe you've had a really bad week with it. This is what I would say to you. Take it to Jesus. Recognize his grace and his forgiveness and then do something that Paul said to do. Forget what is behind you and press on towards Jesus Christ. The Bible says your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. It says that we live under a covenant with God where our sins have been remembered no more. There's a reason in your car that the windshield is really big and the rearview mirror is very small. It's because you're supposed to be focusing on what's ahead of you. You can know what's behind you, but that's not the focus. So I asked the question, why did Jesus bring Peter back to that moment? If the Bible says us to press forward, why does he bring him backwards to the moment of his greatest shame? Peter's forgiveness did not depend on that moment, but Jesus brought him back there anyway. And I believe it's because Peter did not want Jesus for the rest of his life, every time he smelt charcoal, to be taken back to the place of his greatest shame. But now, every time he smelt charcoal, he would be taken back to the place of his greatest redemption, church. Jesus didn't want Peter to look at his past through the eyes of shame. He wanted to look at his past through the eyes of redemption. How many of us have moments or a moment in our life, in our past, where we look back and we are so ashamed and we look at it through the lens of shame and how powerful would it be if we would look at our past through the eyes of redemption? Instead of saying, I cannot believe I did that, we say, I cannot believe he redeemed that. Look at your past through the redemption that has taken place in Christ. He knows everything. The Bible says this, the old has passed away. And what does Jesus do? He makes all things new. That is taking place in Peter's life. The old, that old memory of shame is passing away and he is making a new memory. Renee, could you go ahead and come? So Peter, there's this beautiful restoration moment where he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then Jesus does something that almost seems to not fit. Peter says, yes, I love you the third time. And then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you how you're going to die. It doesn't even make sense. And in fact, I've shown that video uh, in in a church before, and I cut that part out because I was like, that doesn't really go with the message. But actually, it's part of the redemption. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 34, uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. 
Peter had once made a promise to Jesus. He said, if it ever came down to it, I would never deny you, I would die for you. When Jesus comes to Peter now and he says, you are restored, and by the way, you're going to die for me. Actually, that was a redeeming moment because Peter must have wondered in his mind, if it came down to it, would I deny him again? And Jesus was saying, no. No, the place that I am taking you to in your faith is greater than the place you were then. And so many of us, we have in our minds these moments of our past and we say, if I could only get back to where my faith used to be when I was so passionate in my youth, and Jesus is saying, I never want you to go backwards in your faith because I have a greater faith for you in your future. And that's what he's saying to Peter in this moment. Church, do not long for the glory days of your faith. Recognize that God has greater days of your faith laying ahead of you. Can you stand with me? We talked about Thomas last week. We said this, there is no reputation that God can't restore. And in Peter, there is no past, no shame, and no regret that he cannot redeem. What Peter did, or Jesus did, that was so powerful for Peter is he took him back to that sin, took him back to that moment, and he gave him the opportunity to watch his sin being wiped away, to experience the redemption taking place. And I believe this morning that that needs to happen to some people in here. You need to recognize that sin of your past is being wiped away. Not, that ju not just that we know it, but you need to see it taking place, that God is taking those moments and replacing them. Beauty for ashes, church, joy for mourning, Come on, church, somebody get happy. Jesus is alive and he's redeeming you. Can you close your eyes this morning? Father, for so many of us, we look back at those moments of shame and all we can see is the shame guilt and the condemnation, God, and I pray this morning a shift takes place and we look back through the eyes of redemption. This morning, God, we thank you for your redemption from our sins, that our sins have not been ignored, they have been paid for in full. And this morning, we want to do the same thing I did last week. We want to find the one who paid that bill and express our gratitude. This morning as Renee leads us, can you find the one who paid that bill? Find the one who redeemed you from your darkest sin and express your gratitude to him. I'm going to ask as we get ready to dismiss if uh, if you're part of our prayer team or uh, if you're just willing to pray with people this morning, uh, Rob, if we could just go right here by the uh, drum cage. And if you need prayer for any reason, 
and especially if you've made the decision this morning that uh, today is the day for you where you commit your heart to him, just let us pray with you. That's all I ask. We'll be right over here by the drum cage after service. Uh, turn in your connection cards. There's an information table right outside the doors. Uh, if you've never received, we have a welcome gift that we haven't really had out for a little while. If you've never received one, I don't care if you've been here for years, uh, stop by and, and grab one of those. Leave this place excited, church. The church should be the most exciting place on the earth if we believe that the words of this book are true. I'm tired of the Super Bowl being the most exciting place on the earth. They've got nothing on the words in this book, and if the church would act like it, the church would multiply. I need to get away from my notes a little bit. Father, I pray you go with us this week, that we would be excited to be followers of the God Most High. Be glorified in our lives. Lord, teach us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.